Hello and welcome to the Inspired Women, Inspire Women podcast. My name is Sila Simmons and I'm a leadership and organizational development consultant. And this podcast is dedicated to all of the amazing women who make it their mission to live their best lives. And by doing so, they inspire the rest of us to do the same. In this podcast, you will hear from a variety of women from all walks of life. And each of these stories is rooted in the spirit of sisterhood. You will hear from women who have won and lost, who've overcome, who've persisted and risen to the challenge. If you want to learn more about me, please visit my webpage at silasimmons.com. That is Sila, S-E-E-L-A, Simmons with two M's, dot com. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Inspired Women, Inspire Women podcast. I know I'm a little behind in getting this episode out to you. My intentions initially were to have one podcast or one episode per month for you, but as it sometimes happens, even the most well-intentioned plans go unfinished. Without boring you with all of the nitty-gritty details, let me just sum it up and say I am so sorry for the wait, but I hope to make it up for you. What I have in store for you for the rest of the year will certainly be worth the wait. In this fourth episode, I bring you the story of Janice Penton. Janice is a nurse practitioner who works in rural Louisiana. Aside from being a nurse, she's also a mom, a wife, and my husband's fraternal aunt. She spent a large part of her childhood sick, but grew into an independent teenager and young adult who forged her own way. She was the doting mother to her son, Philip, and then one day, 28 years and three days after she gave birth to him, Philip tragically died. In this episode, you will hear Janice recount her story. You will hear her talk about her triumphs and her turbulations and living through unimaginable grief. Please sit back and take a listen. My name is Janice Penton, and I live in Madisonville, Louisiana. I'm a family nurse practitioner, and I work at a rural clinic in Franklinton. Franklinton is where I grew up. Uh, it, it's a little commute from where I live now, but um, I am working where I grew up, so it's worth the drive for me. Franklinton is a small town of under 4,000 people in the Washington Parish of Louisiana. The town is about 61 miles outside of New Orleans. Franklinton is a hot and humid little southern farm town with mild winters, and it is also the proud host to the largest free fair in the United States, which is held every year during the third week of October at the Washington Parish Fairgrounds. This is where Janice grew up. I grew up, lived in the country, my parents, my mother worked for the sheriff's department, my dad worked for the post office. I have an older brother, and then me, and then my little sister, who is six years young. I grew up being the middle child, but uh, I never felt like I was being treated as what they called the middle child. It was uh, a small community, or it is our community, we uh, grew up growing a garden every year, eating fresh vegetables and 
as a child, I took that for granted, thinking that's just the way it's always going to be. And uh, of course, it's not. But uh, it's a simple life, simple time. We played outside. We enjoyed riding, riding our bike. It was nice. Uh, I went to the public school system. Then as I got older, as a teenager, we used to go hang out at the uh, malt stand. <laughs> the local hangout. Seems like I was always late getting home than I'm supposed to, but... <laughs> I always had one child that pushes the limits, and I guess I was that one. Although Janice's life growing up sounds idyllic, life was not always easy for her. In fact, when Janice was a little girl, she suffered from a debilitating disease that would render her unable to participate even in the most ordinary activities. As a child, I grew up sick for many years. I was in and out of hospitals. They weren't sure if I was going to make it. And then they never thought, if I did live, that I would ever have children. I had a um, kidney disease, and I got it secondary from strep throat. I was in and out of hospital, very, very sick. Um, it started when I was five. I was not allowed to walk, go bathroom, or go to the dining room to eat. Someone had to carry me because I could not exert any energy. Oh, they didn't want me to exert myself any, you know. They said that, you know, that I might outgrow it. And I did, thankfully. I did outgrow it. Probably, probably sometime in late grammar school or junior high. But I can remember at recess, when all the children would be out playing, I would be sitting on the, the steps watching, because I couldn't participate. I wanted to play, I wanted to be out there with the other children. All I could do was sit and watch, you know, and I, I guess I got used to it. My mom used to have to come to the school, and give me medicine, and it, it, what's funny about this, uh, they wore, she wore a uniform to work. One of the little kids told his mom that, you know, Janice's mom wears the same clothes every day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm so blessed that I did finally outgrow it and began to live a normal life. Living a normal life for Janice meant making up for lost time. As soon as she could, Janice got off the sidelines and started playing the game. She got involved in everything and anything that she could. She was the editor of the yearbook, a member of the student council, a pom-pom girl. Janice was living life to the fullest. Anything I could um, participate in, I, I did. And I do believe that as I grew up, 
and became maybe a little rebellious, doing things my way was stemming from, you know, where I could not participate in what everybody else was participating in, you know. I had to make up lost time. I, I think I did make up for it. <laughs> I can say that I have lived a very exciting, fun life growing up. And, uh, you know, I have regrets of times when I worried my parents, you know, if I was late coming home or whatever. But I do believe it has made me who I am today. And believe it or not, I really believe that it has helped me to understand my patients that I care for. That going down the wrong path or making bad decisions, I can relate and try to help them to make better decisions in their life. Not that my life, you know, I, I, I made some bad decisions in, in growing up, but it, it's just, I think, part of um, the teen years, you know, and you um, you push the boundaries, and that's, I guess, my personality. <laughs> Janice's journey from a sick little girl in a rural southern town to strong-willed teen with a pent-up desire to make up for years lived on the outskirts of where the action was happening led to a successful multi-decade career in medicine. Janice's path as a medical professional is closely intertwined with her path as a mother. She grew and developed into both roles, mother and nurse. She gave birth to her son, Philip Wayne Brock, on February 7, 1985 in Hammond, Louisiana. Janice was an LPN then. She decided that she wanted more for herself and for her little boy. She continued on and became an RN, and she earned a bachelor's in nursing. And in 2011, Janice earned her credentials from Loyola University to become a nurse practitioner. When you ask Janice about this remarkable journey, she will tell you that Philip was at the very center of all of it. He was her motivation. From the moment that Philip was born, Janice started to live her life for two, and all of her decisions in life were made with the two of them in mind. And despite Philip's tragic and untimely passing, exactly 28 years and three days after the day he was born, Janice continues to live for two. Philip was my world. He was, he was everything to me. It, it was almost like our souls were so connected. If that makes any sense, but um, and it was, and you know, everybody knew we had this connection. I didn't realize everybody knew how you know the connection we had, but uh, someone recently told me that uh, her son, that was Philip's age, told her years ago in high when they were in high school that Philip was real close to his mom and could could talk to his mom about just about anything. When you talk to Janice you realize that Philip is never far from her thoughts. 
She describes him in intricate detail, visiting and revisiting the nooks and crevices of a life lost too soon. And with every one of her stories, Philip comes to life. The stories revive and paint a vivid picture of a young man with a big heart who loved easily and deeply, a young man so completely cherished, adored, and loved by a mother who made him the center of her universe. You get the picture of a young man who perhaps, like his mom, wanted to live life on his terms. You know, Philip wrote an autobiography, and in it he mentioned that, according to his mother, you know, I was it, that he was everything. Whereas his dad didn't put him up on a pedestal <laughs> and made him work if he wanted something. He said, I think I got a good mixture from both. So he knew both ends, you know, both sides. I do not see anything wrong with making them work, you know, for what they want. But that was just not me, not with Philip. I don't know. And somebody told me that I used to work with that God knew what kind of mother Philip would need, and God knew what kind of mother I would be. And I guess, you know, that was it. And Philip, the thing about Philip, he was an old soul. He he was a child that you didn't you didn't see him cry a lot, you know. It's not one of those that cried, and he was um, an old soul, like a little man. You know, my mom called him a little man, because he was like a little man. And he always had this deep voice. He always had sweet manners, you know. And down south, yes ma'am, no sir, he, he had it. You know, he was very um, southern from that point of view. You know, he had good. He, uh, growing up, he was very funny. So he was the class clown, and his senior year, he got wittiest. Uh, he he was just. Just a lot of fun to build. It was just so much fun, you know. And it was just, I always laugh, cutting up, telling jokes, messing with me. You know what is so ironic or consequent, I mean, a coincidence, but um, I had him when I was 28. And I lost him when he was 28. And I think about all the years I've lived since that he's not gonna get to to experience, and it 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 breaks my heart. I, it it makes me so sad that he's not here to enjoy life and to be a part of my life. 
Philip grew up in Louisiana, in the same place as his mom did, perhaps even sharing similar experiences of childhood in small-town Franklinton. Janice's parents played an equally large role in Philip's life, and they spent a lot of time with Philip and watching him while Janice was at work and school. Philip, he grew up, you know, my ex-husband traveled a lot, used to bit business. So it was mostly just Philip and I anyway. But um, my parents were a very big part of his life. I sometimes believe that God allowed Philip to be here, and he brought my parents so much enjoyment and happiness, you know. I feel like my dad, uh, they were very close. And then him and my mom were very close, but he was 12 when she passed away. And, but they were so close. Um, my mom would sit that her and Philip would sit on the front porch in the rocking chairs and talk and tell their secrets. <laughs> On February 20th, 2013, only three days after his 28th birthday, Philip Weinbrock, a kind-hearted, free-spirited, lover of music and the much-beloved son and center of Janice's universe, drifted into a slumber never to wake up again. On that fateful night, Philip, who suffered from severe sleep apnea, had been drinking heavily. It is believed that when he quit breathing due to the sleep apnea, he was so sedated that he didn't realize it and Philip never took another breath again. I remember when we came out of his apartment that day that he had died. Well, they think he died that night. I called him, it was about 10.30, and he didn't answer, so I thought he was probably on the phone with his girlfriend because they were trying to work things out, and I didn't want to just keep nagging him, you know, and, oh, that's mom calling, you know. I didn't want to disturb him, so uh, I went on to bed, and then the next morning, you know, I started calling him because he had to get up early. He had some things he had to do. But um, anyway, they think he passed between maybe 10.30 and 11 that night. Um, but we didn't know it till the next day and um, that morning. And um, when they put him in that that green velvet, whatever you call it, and zipped it up and put him, you know, the, the corner. Because when I called, I kept calling and couldn't get him. I had the office managers to go check on him. I was working in Bogalusa at the time. And, um, uh, they said, 
and saying she needs to get here. I'm like, why? What's wrong? What's wrong? I started freaking out. So a friend of mine drove me. Took us forever. And we pulled, and I asked them what hospital they were taking him to, and they said they weren't. And we pulled up, and they had the yellow tape. And they, they finally let him go in, and he was on his couch with the clothes, the same clothes he had on the evening before that I went, you know, because I went to see him. I was allowed, you know, God allowed me to be able to get off early that day and go see him that afternoon. And um, when I came out of his apartment, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do now? I felt like that my purpose and my reason for living was gone, you know? And how well am I going to make it the rest of my life without him? And it was it was just such a uh, feeling. You know, I was in shock, but I, I was just, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, you know? And and I remember saying that, what, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to, you know, I was lost. Just thought, well, there's nothing for me to do now. There's nowhere for me to go, I, you know, I'm just... What am, what am I doing here, you know? I should be gone, you know? Because I, I really thought my purpose for this life um, was, was gone, that I had no, no purpose. So Janice, what did you do? How did you find your way back? Well, I didn't for a while. Um, I stayed in bed, didn't talk to anybody. Uh, I made my husband move out. I was, I didn't want to be around nobody. And, and then I'll never forget, I got a call from Sandra. Just for clarification, Sandra is Janice's niece and my husband's youngest sister. And I don't know how bad I sounded or what, but she said, Aunt Janice, I'm coming uh, the night before Thanksgiving and you're coming back with me to Arizona. And we're leaving the next morning at 4 o'clock. And you've got a lot to do between now and then. And I'm like, okay. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh no, I can, you know, okay. I, I just, I, I was so lost. I didn't know, you know, I, 
I was living there by myself. You know, I don't know if I was taking too many of, of my anxiety medicine, you know, because all I wanted to do was sleep. I didn't want to face reality. Just let me sleep and not have to be awake. So she flew in and uh, we left the next day. And you stayed in Phoenix for about a year or so before you moved back, right? Actually, I think I was there about 10 months. While I was there, I got a job with United Healthcare, working uh, Monday through Friday, managing patients in four or five long-term care facilities. And then I worked on Saturdays at uh, a clinic. And I, I guess, you know, being with Sandra and Savannah, working, you know, six days a week, um, helped me to not be, you know, have to face so much by myself. Looking back, do you think it was beneficial to be away from Louisiana just for a little bit? I, I think Phoenix really did me a lot of good uh, because, you know, I, I was, was getting homesick. My husband and I decided to work it out. We had not sold our house. So he moved out of his apartment back in the house. He flew in, picked us up. Me and our, my dog, Philip's dog, Roscoe, um, brought us home. At that point um, is when I started working here in Frankenton. Your journey as a healthcare professional and a mom ran parallel for a number of years, and Philip got to see you advance in your career from LPN to RN and then to nurse practitioner. What was it like for him to see you hit so many milestones and graduate with your credentials as a nurse practitioner in 2011? Uh, Some of my pictures on Facebook, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a picture of me and Philip. He was decked out. I mean, he went and bought some clothes, a hat, you know, I mean, a jacket. He... He wanted to look sharp. He had a chain. He was, you know, for my graduation. And um, uh, there's a picture of me in my graduation outfit. His arms around me, and he's facing the camera, and I'm kissing him on the side of his face. You know, and it you know, shows me kissing his cheek. And so many people told me that last time they had told me he was, talking about how proud he was. So that is one one thing, you know, one big reason that keeps me doing what I'm doing. So proud of me going back because he thought I was so ancient, you know. <laughs> going back at an old age, doing all that work, for, you know, to get it, get my master's with that nurse practitioner, working so hard at it. And so now I'm working for for both of us. I'm, do, I'm doing my work for me and him both. 
And I would bet that he knows that. And I would also bet that he's still so proud of you. And and I believe that too. I believe that he is with me. I, I sometimes feel his presence. And about two weeks, I was in bed. I don't know if I was asleep or half asleep, but he came to me. And he was standing like behind my left shoulder. And I could see him. His birthday was February 17th. He died, they think, on the 19th, but the date is the 20th. He had that plaid jacket on that I bought him for his birthday. He loved it. And his hair was kind of long. And I could see him standing behind me. He had that jacket on. And his hair was falling forward because he was leaning over. And he kissed me twice on my left cheek. And I felt it. I felt it. And it was like, oh, my gosh. You know, it, it, it was, it was real. I mean, I felt the kisses. I, I know it was him. And knowing if there was anything that he could do to help ease my pain, he would do it. That's why I know that was him. And he was trying to let me know he's okay. Are you a, different kind of or different type of healthcare professional because of some of the experiences that you've had and because of the tragedy that you've experienced with Philip? And does some of that even creep up in your work in terms of um, how you deal with your patients who are perhaps uh, suffering from addiction or other afflictions in in your day-to-day job? Yeah, absolutely. We see a lot of, uh, in this rural area, Medicaid patients. And, you know, a lot of them aren't financially able to afford, you know, a lot of their medicine. I try to help them as much as I can. Um, just like today, I had a uh, man today, and he's one of my favorites, and his name's Philip. <laughs> And, uh, um, so, uh, I had forgotten the last time he came, he, uh, I had ordered his medicine and he didn't have any, the money to get it. So today, same thing. I ordered his stuff. He ended up giving me some money because, uh, the people here in the rural area don't have access to, to much. And a lot of them, depend on transportation to get here their their money is so limited that you you see a lot of non-compliance because of that because to eat healthy it, it's expensive to buy your medicine it can be expensive so um you see, you have a lot of chronic diseases that you have to really work at because they can't afford to be 
compliant, you know. But, um, and I don't give all my patients money, but he's, you know, he, he needed some money for his meds. And I, being a diabetic, I, you know, I surely didn't want him to go without his insulin. Whatever samples we have, I give him, you know, so, um, and to me, Philip was, Philip was so much like me, you know, and he would do the same thing. So I always close out my interviews with two questions. And the first one is, if you could describe your life in, or if you could divide your life into three chapters, what would they be and why? Um, well, you know, I've kind of thought about that before. And the first one would be my childhood. My second one would be my first marriage and my family and my stepchildren. And then the third would be my life now. And each one is so different from the other one. And even though in my second one was my first marriage and my family and with Philip, he's still a part in, in the third life. And he will always be part of it spiritually and in my heart and emotionally and in every way possible. I'm sure there's going to be a fourth one. You know, there's going to be a fourth one where I might be by myself. I'll be 61, and I still don't know sometimes which way my life is going to go. You know, it's like I'm still waiting to grow up in a way. But I'm hoping in January that I do get accepted to the postmaster psychiatric certification. I was planning on for this fall, but I didn't get accepted but for January. The rest of my life, I want to do something in memory of Philip. Do something that will help other young people coming up, young men and women that are fighting with some type of addiction or illness or something. That that's my dream. And being in the rural areas, and I'm sure it's in the cities as well, there's so much anxiety, depression. There's so much of that because life is so hard right now. You know, people are struggling. I think that's one reason that people are trying to escape reality because reality can suck. They're searching for other ways to deal with it than to face it head on. And it causes anxiety, causes depression, and I believe that can lead to uh, addiction. I would say 98% of my patients all have type of mental issues. And I deal with the, these issues with them every day. They, and I feel, this is another reason I feel like this is my calling, is so many of them tell me that they can open up to me and talk to me, and I make them feel comfortable where they can tell me anything because they know I'm not judging. I'm not there to, you know, put down on them. I'm there to help them. I have been through the worst depression and tragedy, you know, a mother can face, so I know 
how how far down you can get, you know, and and for me to be able to come to work and function every day, I feel like is a blessing, and I feel like I can help other people do that too. I really do. Janice, what are your three best qualities? Wanting to help others, being non-judgmental, and caring. Aunt Janice, what a joy it was to have this conversation with you. I think I've told you this before. I never had the opportunity to meet Philip, but I wish I had. I know I would have loved him as much as I love you. You are more than just three qualities. Yes, it's true that you are non-judgmental, that you are good to others, and that you care, and that you've made it your mission to help others. But you are also strong, and you are brave, and you don't know what the word quit means. And you keep going, and you keep doing, and you do it with such grace and eloquence. And for that, I admire you. I love you, Aunt Janice. Thank you for sharing Philip's memory with me and my listeners.